Hey everybody, welcome to an off-season, a Mets off-season edition of Shane Eating Podcast with Doug Williams and Keith Hernandez. Keith, you look cleaned up. You got a you got a little haircut there. You look, uh, you've had your coffee, you're showered, you're ready to go for this podcast. Um, what I mean, what have you been up to? The 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 season is over. You you're not doing the drive from SAG to the ballpark anymore. Yep. You got a lot more time on your hands. How have you been spending it? Well, um, I've been taking a lot of afternoon naps, which mm. is, you know, I've been tired or I get tired around three o'clock. So I just lay down and take a nap and that refreshes. Oh, I cleaned out the garage. I went up on the roof after the rain and cleaned all the drains. I had the pool clothes. Um, I've got to take in all the outdoor furniture. I'm going down to Florida uh, in around 10 days for good. So I got to tidy things up around here, close up shop. Well, when you say for good, there's a lot of Met fans listening who think, uh, I hope you're coming back no, no, in no, some just, form or fashion. No, I mean, I'm 45 minutes from the ballpark in spring training. So I'm a Florida resident and that's where I go in the off season. A lot of people go there to retire. I know you're a Florida resident, but I just wanted to clear that up for the record. Well, I will, um, go, I will go there and retire. I promise you when uh, I'm too old to, you know, if I get forgetful on the air. <laughs> And you know, I can't be making mistakes, calling people wrong names and all that. Well, we're excited, Keith, because you're going to be a part of the, the show in the off season. So, um, you know, we're going to be able to, to hear from you when you're down in Florida and talk to you as the off season progresses. We know this is going to be a busy one. I mean, the, the Mets have an ownership change and uh, we'll see what it means in terms of the roster. And uh, so it, that from that perspective, it'll be re- really interesting. And uh, keep in mind that in the off season, everybody will be coming at you every Monday. Uh, so once a week during the off season and Keith will, will be there. Um, and Andy and I will be there. So it'll be good stuff. Um, so what, how are you planning on, on spending your off season Keith, because we're going to talk to you on the podcast and are you going to be, uh, like honing in on what the Mets are up to? Are you going to be, uh, just kind of enjoying your, your time off down in Florida? I will, uh, uh, keep an eye on the Mets. We always get the email with all, every article of the New York papers, so it's easy to keep up on what's going on. Um, and that'll be over coffee every morning. I'll work out. I've got uh, I've got around uh, I'd say it was around ten pounds. So I got to get back working out. I was I got away from it because of that drive every day because no road trips and. You know, gyms conveniently have uh, hotels conveniently have gyms when we're on the road, and the drive was just too much. And I haven't worked out. I, mean, I got to kick my metabolism back in. Just drop ten, and I'll be happy. Can you drop uh, ten quickly? Like no, just... it'll, um, I'll just have to not. I take around three days where I don't have a drink. Smart. You know, I used to like to have a martini before dinner. You know, a little vesper. Mm-hmm. Very cold, like James Bond with a twist and then a glass of wine. Well, there'll be around three nights that I won't just just for health reasons, too. And um, eat healthy. You know, I have my bike down there. I ride the bike. I'm fine. Um, so let's let's talk about the season that just passed 2020, Keith. And we did uh, the same thing with Andy on Monday and uh 
this requires a little bit of thinking on the spot from you, but you could take your time with it because I, I, you know, you got such a good look at what this season looked like from the booth, even when the games weren't at city field. So the three batter rule is one good thing that came out of 2020 for the Mets, one bad thing that came out of 2020 for the Mets and one rule change that you actually liked. We'll see if there actually is one uh, that you liked, but um, one good thing in 2020, what sticks out Keith from, the Mets and watching them over 60 games, even though it was such a disappointing season, they didn't make the playoffs. Is there one thing that sticks out where you were like, okay, that, that was a, you know, that went in the right direction. Well, I think the, um, and don't remember now it's only 60 games. It's not 162, but I think that Dom Smith emerging was a big positive. Uh, and I think uh, Jimenez, was also a big positive. Now it's a question of what will he hit, but you know you can't have you know uh, Barry Bonds and Freddie Freeman's in the lineup. You know stacked down one through nine. You can't. So you need those table setters. You need those smart players, and I think he's one of them. And I also think the other positive was, and we'll see, is I think that maybe Edwin Diaz got past his uh, yips, so to speak. I thought, yeah. I thought he pitched well. So I mentioned this to you last week, but I think about what you've, you've told me about Pete Alonso a lot when I'm thinking about Dom Smith and Jimenez, as you're describing. And I'm now so wary of not assuming that one year will translate to the next. So when you let's pick Dom, for example, because that's the first name you mentioned. What do you, when you look ahead to 2021 for him, how confident are you? that he can continue to be a star or are you going to say, I'll, I'll wait and see like what should Mets fans at home expect from him moving forward from this weird season? Well, I've always said you're only good as your last season. So, you know, you got to continue to do it. The sign of greatness is over the years that you want to be that player that when the general manager starts formulating in the off season, which direction he wants to go with the team to improve, he can go down the list of names. When it gets to your name, he goes, we're going to get minimum. We know we're going to get a minimum this, this, and this from this guy. Yeah. Tom hasn't had enough body of work yet. So um, certainly I think that I, 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 I wouldn't trade him in a million years. Uh, I think he's, he also brings a lot to the clubhouse. He's a positive guy. There's a lot of things that he brings. Uh, so but he has to prove over a space of time, space of seasons to me. You got to put three, four, and then, okay, you're good. I worry about his, 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 uh, his conditioning. He's kept himself in good shape. We know he had a weight problem when, a couple of years back when he first was coming up. And uh, he's got to maintain that uh, being in shape, that the, the, keeping that weight off. Because when he gets older, that will take its toll on him. Yeah, he's he really was a is a sneaky good athlete and, you know, can run down the baseline pretty quickly. And that that's one of those impressive things. Even when he went out in left field, which I don't think he'll do that much going forward. No, but I he was pretty. There'll be a DH next year for sure. I you think, think he'll be a DH, not a first baseman? Be a first baseman. OK. Um, I think that so, the DHing is going to be primarily Alonzo. Yeah. Uh, one bad thing that came out of 2020, Keith, and obviously this was such a disappointing year. And, uh, you know, you were in the booth at the end there and, and 
talking about how it seems so crazy that this Mets team built to win uh, didn't and that they're watching the playoffs from home just like us. Uh, what's one thing that sticks out, though, in terms of the disappointment for the 2020 Mets? Well, I think you you got to look at, you know, Waka and, and Porcello were kind of a bust. Um, they won two games between them, you know, so their ERAs are jacked up. So I think the pitching is was probably the biggest disappointment. Uh, and I can't say it's the biggest disappointment. I, I really didn't expect much from the, from the elder guys. I thought Purcello would do better because he's a command pitcher, sinker slider, but he struggled uh, as well as Waka. Uh, Batances was in and out. Uh, I, there's a lot of holes. You know, we need a catcher. You know, we, we need a center fielder. Uh, but if I'm going to build back on this club first, I think we got enough offense. We led the way. Did we wind up leading the league in hitting? I think we did. All I right. don't know if the top of my first head. First or second. Um, we scored around, I think, fourth or fifth in runs. It got better with men in scoring position latter part of the year. Uh, so there's just a lot. Uh, the offense is fine. I think the biggest thing, Doug, is, 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 is psychological here with this organization. It's a lot. Everybody likes to kick on the Mets. You know, the same old Mets. Oh, 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 oh the Mets. And, you know, there's the Yankees, who, again, are showing a, a knack of winning. Um, there's got to be a way. I mean, it's like a scarlet letter over this team and a big shroud of negativity and things you had to overcome. We felt it in the eighties when I came over here, we were, I mean, the Yankees when we were there had Mattingly Winfield, they were, they were a good team. We usurped them uh, in New York with our talent, but we had a good blend of youth and veterans, but I recognized the, uh, you know, the little kid on the block that you just pick on all the time, you know, that the organization. And I think that this team has to find a way to conquer that. And that's going to come with success. And well, I guess comes with success and fighting the odds and digging in and gritting your teeth and go out and prove it. Cause this team has got a basis of a future. It's young. So yeah. if they can go out and do it. It'd be like '80s. So we, we once we got through '84, then '85, we knew we were good, um, and all the young players knew they were good. It's the same thing can happen in this team. Yeah, they when, I'm, when I'm listening to you describe it, and you mentioned the '80s, you know, I was just thinking, well, they're about to have the richest owner in baseball, and you know, for so many years, George Steinbrenner just spent and spent and spent, and I think. <clears throat> Recently, the last couple of decades, that is what has changed that, you know, the Yankees are the team that can sign Mark Teixeira and CC Sabathia and AJ Burnett all in the same offseason. I'm not sure, though, that that's what's going to change the perception of the Mets. We're just going to have to wait and see. The team that you're describing in the 80s wasn't about money and contracts necessarily. It was partially about that, but it was more about a, a great core of young and, and veteran players. So the Met, if the Mets win that perception will change, but you're right. It's, it's very psychological. And 
the 60 game season, you know, whether it ends up being Brody's last season as GM or not, this was supposed to be a playoff team. And, you know, the Brewers have no pitching and no offense and they're facing the Dodgers in the postseason right now. And that should be the Mets. Um, so speaking of, of 2020 Keith, are there any of the unique rules and rule changes that you actually liked and that you hope are in place in 2021, whether it's, you know, runner at second in extra innings, universal DH, seven inning double headers, which I think you're a fan of any, any of it. Um, aha, of course, the first ring of the day. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, oh, good. They hung up. I yelled at someone yesterday. Uh, I, pick, I picked it up and yelled at them. I said, don't call here again. So they know anyway, better now. <laughs> hopefully. Uh, I can tell you what I don't like. I don't like the three kept the pitch to three batters. Um, it's still not going to speed up the game because you've got pitchers, so you got to leave a left-hander in to face a right-hander, say, okay, before the third batter. Left-hander's scared. Doesn't want to pitch to the right-hander, so he pitches around him. It's three-two count and all this BS. So that lengthens the game. The three-two counts kill, and uh, that's what this game has become, along with the strikeout, the home run, and the walk. Then they wind up walking someone. I mean, eleven walks and a hit batsman the last game of the season by a major league pitching staff, the New York Mets, your Metropolitans. That is embarrassing. That is not major league baseball. I could not believe it. Um, so I don't like that rule. I think I'll meet him halfway, as I said before. Seventh inning on, manager can let him manage. If he wants to use three pitchers in an inning, let him use three pitchers. But it's a close game. You're, you're not allowing the manager to manage to win when he needs to manage to win late in the game when it's close. DH, I never like. I can live with it. Uh, I'm sure the Mets are going to be the ones that are going to vote for it because if you really look at it, Pete Alonso would have been benched this year if it wasn't for Dom, I mean, for the DH. He would have been benched. He would have had very limited time. So uh, I'm sure that they'll push for DH, and I don't have a, I don't have a problem with that. Um, I don't – someone mentioned to me the other day, why don't we do extra innings the 10th and the 11th and the 12th normal baseball, and then anything after that, put a runner on second. That's meeting someone halfway. I've kind of made, I'm kind of for that. Um, By the way, is that, has that been Haji making all that noise? Yeah, he's, he's talking. He he's, he's misses the dog. That's what it is. He's just, oh, he's, um, most cats like go off to the side and don't want to be bothered. This guy follows me around like a dog. He drives me crazy. And he's always yapping. This breed, the Bengal breed, they are yappers. They're very expressive. I can understand him sometimes. Just for, just for our <laughs> listeners, uh, he's on Keith's shoulder as we speak. He's getting the attention that he was craving. Um, so quick question. If you can imagine having the option of having an extra off day when you were playing and then the occasional seven inning doubleheader game that was scheduled, would you be into that? So on a Tuesday you play two games, but on Sunday you're off or on Monday you're off. Like, did you like the seven inning doubleheaders? Did you think that was a fulfilling day of, I thought, I thought it was the the game was short. I just couldn't get used to it. Um, 
I'm all for 100 and back to 154 game schedule, but they won't yeah. do that because they'll lose seven gates. They don't want to lose seven gates. It's all about the money. And um, 154, that gives you the seasons over in uh, the, at the end of the third week of September. You're not playing the World Series in November. You know, you're ending in late October. And that makes sense to me, but they won't do it. As opposed to these doubleheaders, scheduled doubleheaders. I, would, I mean, it's great for me. The games, I mean, look at that Yankee game. Or we, uh, this is Thursday. The uh, Yankees, it was almost a four hour game. No, was it was longer. It was, I think it was five, almost five hours. Yeah. The longest game in history. Oh my God. They got to be kidding me. I'm it so was, glad. I, I think it was, I think it was 455, nine inning game. 450 with an hour 16 delay. So it, it started in September. It ended in October, Keith. Um, yes. And, I just couldn't imagine that let, being a player playing, let alone how about the broadcasters having to talk for five hours. I mean, I'm glad I didn't watch the game. So, and then we had a real beautiful game in 13 innings with the Braves, one nothing. Those are the kind of games I like. So, it was actually the Yankee game was pretty wild. The Braves and Reds game was scoreless great pitching freddie freeman finally walked it off right. the yankee game was the yankee game was fun it was one of those back and forth games but it was long yeah um too long it was like a yankee red Sox game almost you know? yeah but it even it even topped that i couldn't imagine i, I would have been pulling my hair out of my, my <laughs> that have been a mid game nine innings um we'll see let's, seven o'clock five hours the game's over right before midnight <laughs> Well, you would have been Insane. you would have been especially annoyed because they they delayed the game when it wasn't raining in Cleveland. Then it started raining in Cleveland right after they restarted the game after the rain delay. So then they put the tarp on, delayed it. Both starting pitchers came back out. It was a disaster. Um, the actual playing time was four fifty five, not not counting the rain delays. Four fifty with an hour sixteen rain delay. So the rain delays were made it longer. Yes. Look at um, no fans in its stands. Exactly. <laughs> no, there's some good concessions. Good concessions and and, and selling a selling product. Yeah, you, you would have had the, the the hangovers kicking in though, because no beer after the bottom of the seventh. So that's always interesting. And the extras when people are in the stands starting to nod off. Um, Louis, Louis, Keith, uh, Luis yeah. Rojas. I I I happen to think I think the Mets have their manager. Um, I, I think fans are always going to be frustrated by managers, especially in today's day and age, because there's, there's so much unknown in terms of what they're actually doing and how, what's, what decisions are up to them. But I was impressed by him whenever he spoke with the media. I think he was a really good communicator with the players from all we're allowed to know. Uh, what did you think of the job that he did in year one? Uh, well, I think it was a, it was a, for a guy that's first year managing, in the big leagues and this kind of season we had with so many rule changes. Um, it was a lot on his plate. I thought he did well. He's got a lot of his father in him. He's a class guy. He's very patient. He's a gentleman. He handles the press well. Um, and a couple times during the season and some of those uh, press conferences over zoom, you know, some writers asked some pointed, kind of pushy questions and he never uh, got rattled 
uh, answered the question. So I was impressed with that. Uh, you know, it's up to Sandy what he wants to do. Uh, the players like Louis. Uh, he's, he he comes prepared. Let's see, you know, he he loves the game. So uh, we'll see what Mr. Alderson ultimately decides decides to do. Yeah, I think he's the type of guy, honestly, to what you're describing. Who, uh, you know, even if there's going to be a lot of changes above him, why not keep him? I don't think he's. I, Whose cup of tea will he not be? Uh, I, he, he just isn't that type of, of guy to me and type of manager. And you're right. He handled a lot of tough questions. Short season. I remember Roger Rubin at one point asking him if he was telling the truth about something. Like, straight up, were you telling us the truth about this decision? I think it was something Stephen Matz related, but I can't remember off the top of my head. And he kept his cool. And um, that's important for a first-year guy uh, to be able to handle that. Um, in-game moves, does anything stick out? Because I know that some of the in-game manager's decisions in, in this day and age frustrate you. Do you think he handled it well? No, I don't like to second guess. I think the manager always – I look at it two ways. That the manager makes the ultimate decision if he has two options. And sometimes it doesn't go with, okay, all the, all the, all the analytics, all the stats you have in front of you, a manager plays a hunch. That's going out the window right now. Davey Johnson was a huge – Hunch, he played hunches big time and went against what the book said about this matchup and that matchup. So I never have an issue with that. Um, The one criticism I'll have is I think that he stayed with his starting pitchers too long. Hmm. And he he needs to know when to be Captain Hook. Um, Whitey Herzog told me, when I was playing for him, he said the mo- one of the most important things for a manager is to recognize when your starting pitcher doesn't have it early. And he goes, a three nothing game, my team can come back in the third or fourth or fifth. If I leave him in that one extra batter, he's in trouble, and all of a sudden it's a six, seven run game, my team in the fifth inning, is, the odds are I'm not going to come back. So a manager has to know when to pull the starter and get to his bullpen. Um, we didn't have a very reliable bullpen. You know, there's a lot of things that go into it. Uh, when I played for Whitey, our bullpen was our strength. So we always, we had a decent starting five, two good stars at the top, and our bullpen was solid. Long, middle, and of course, Bruce Suter. So he Whitey could rely on on the bullpen. Sparky Anderson with the Reds in the 70s, big red machine, they had a very average rotation, but they had a great bullpen. And that's why Sparky was Captain Hook. So you got to go with what your personnel is. Um, but I felt that he kept some, some starters in too long and uh, could have gone to his bullpen earlier. And then a lot of games got out of hand. You said you can understand Haji sometimes. What, what's, he, what's he saying to you right now? Are you able to translate? He wants to go out in the yard. I got the, the cage out there. He wants to go out. It's a beautiful yeah. day. He wants the sun. Is he not allowed to go out? No, I, I got a cage for him out there. He just can't go out now. I'm not going to get up and let him out. He can wait. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I think it's interesting to hear you say that that's your criticism of Rojas. Wouldn't you say that generally in today's game, you're a fan of letting starters go deeper? I am, but our starting rotation wasn't Sterling this year. Was it? Yeah. No. 
Oh, yeah. You got to pick your your rotations, I guess, to right. to lean on if it's a good certainly one. Lean on Degrom. You can certainly. Uh, uh, God, who are the other ones? I mean, Porcello. You had to keep a sharp eye on Walker, Peterson. Keep a sharp eye on Peterson. I'd go longer with him, but they just don't let guys go long today and uh, stretch it out. I just, it's just the way the game is. Peterson's a big, strong guy, but you got to keep an eye on him too, because he's a sinker slider guy and not overpowering. So if he doesn't have his command, you've got to, and he's up or doesn't have his on the spot control, he's going to get hit. Now he was really spot on, but every great pitcher, Tommy John was beautiful pitcher, sinker slider knew how to pitch, but he had games where he got knocked out. I mean, please, yeah. he, didn't, he didn't have it. You got to recognize that, I think. And that's eyes, um, that's eyes on, not someone in the back saying, oh, this spin rate and this curveball, it's slowing down. We got to get him out. <laughs> um, on this date in Mets history in 2016, October 1st, the Mets clinched a spot in the wild card game. Uh, reaching the postseason for consecutive seasons for the second time in franchise history. Um, this is just a quick one before we go. Are you a fan of the the one game wild card or these three game series that we're seeing this year? I do not like what we're seeing this year. I can accept it because of the season, but you can't have a team that's two games under 500 in the playoffs. That's embarrassing. All right. So it's, it's a participation award. Come on, let's go. It's a big league. <laughs> Right, but in a so let's say the season's normal, 162, you've got actually good teams in the postseason. Forget the amount of numbers of teams that are in there. Would you rather be in a three-game series or one-game playoff? And would you rather watch a one-game playoff or a three-game playoff? Well, one game is like winner takes all, so it's kind of interesting. And that's because if they shortened the season to 554 you might be able to have a five-game series with a wild card. That would be interesting, wouldn't it? But then the other teams would have to wait. It's a problem. Right. So maybe a three. Uh, you, you can't have the teams that have won sitting there. It's a game you gotta, you got to be in rhythm, keep playing. Uh, I just think to keep it the way it was the years past, I, I have no problem. A lot of teams are in the hunt in the end, and only two get to go. You know, and that's tough. T.S., I've never understood I never played the game obviously but I've always found it interesting when you know you say it's bad that they'd go a week without playing you know you need to stay in rhythm to me it seems okay 154 162 whatever it is that sounds exhausting aren't you exhausted at the end wouldn't you be happy to have a week to let your body rest before the, the postseason starts or is that like even though it sounds good in theory it's it's going to mess with you when you're in rhythm during, at the end of a year like um, what, what, wouldn't I, you benefit from some time off well i would or benefit from the day off so you know i played 150 155 you know 157 my whole career uh i liked playing every day i didn't want to sit i wanted to play two i wanted to play both ends of a double header which I did. Um, I always felt when I went into a double header that I can get, I can get five, six hits. I can have a big day. So um, that's how I, that's how my outlook was going into every double header. And when I got older, I, they started playing me in one 
and that was right to do when I got 32. You're getting older. And, you know, we had no, Magadan was my bench guy, my replacement. It's a left-hand hitter. Well, Mag's never hit much off left-handers. So I'd go to Davey. If there was a left-hander pitching in the doubleheader, I just, I always went to Davey and said, put me in the game against the left-hander. Mags, Mags hasn't hardly hit off them. Let him hit off the right-hander. And Mags could hit. So, um, but I always loved playing too. I wouldn't want a week off, no. I, Whitey always said another thing too. I never thought I learned so much from Whitey. And everybody, I've mean, said it on the air. You give a guy an off day with an, uh, with an off day after. So it's, so it's 48 hours. It's, uh, it's a 48, it's a two day off day. And I think that's good. I think I, that, that, and then you're, you're ready to go. You're ready to go. With under Sandy, you know, that was everybody played 12 days. They had a schedule, no matter what, it was 10 or 12 days that that player had to have an off day. It was that kind of cycle. And, and they actually did it in important games. I remember a game in Chicago. I forget what year. Uh, they were starting to get going. They beat the Cubs the first game. And then it was conf- uh, the right-hand pitcher pitching lefty. And they, uh, they sat Conforto and someone else down. Two big bats. And a big game. And... Uh, I just couldn't believe it. And I asked later, I said, well, it was their, their scheduled off day. BS. Important, when you get late in the season, there's important games. You got to go to the whip. You got to go to the whip with your big boys. Right, Hodge? Yeah. You get it. All right. Hodge is like, I just want to go outside. The, the podcast is over. Drool on me and get on this shoulder. It's been, a, it's been a half hour. Let me outside. I'm going to drool until you do. Um, well, I think it's fitting. We got a couple BSs into our final podcast of the well season, but even though it's over, um, always a pleasure, Keith. And again, we're, we're looking forward to being able to continue these conversations uh, into the off season once you move down south. And uh, that, that will be great. Uh, we're coming at you every Monday for the rest of the off season between the three of us, Keith, Andy and myself. Uh, please subscribe, rate and review wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, Spotify, wherever. Thanks, Keith. We'll talk to you. Uh, we'll talk to you soon. Enjoy the rest I have of the two baseball books for our fans to read. Okay. I just got this. It's hard to find. There's on uh, Amazon. There'll only be one book worth like $800. It's, it's an autograph first edition. Go to a books and you can find, I got this for 40 bucks. Well, just uh, say it, say it. So our audience knows what you're holding up. Because ghetto, they to glory, ghetto to glory from ghetto to glory by Bob Gibson. It was written in 1968. This is a great book. And I'm sure you know this fella. Uh, David Halberstam wrote this about the 64 World Series. Uh, it's also a social book about the climate of 1964, what the country was going through. The Cardinals were a very integrated team. The Yankees were not. It is just, it ties in the 64 World Series, which the Cardinals won in seven, into the social fabric of what was going on in our country and where all these players came from. It is just one of my favorite baseball books. So the name of the book is by David Halberstam, you know, the best and the brightest. He's a great writer. Uh, It's October 64, which is the October is the World Series in 1964. Strongly recommended sports reading. All right, for your off-season reading pleasure. Um, Keith, we appreciate it. We'll talk to you soon. Okay, 